Okay, yeah. let us go ahead and get started. Let's uh, ask Lord's blessing on our time of study. Please stand as we seek our God. Father in heaven, it is always a great delight to open the word of life, the book of life. We thank thee, Lord, for this time to be able to study thy word as thy people. We pray that thou would nourish our souls, that thou would teach us uh, from thine own lips uh, thy, thy truth, that we would be those who rest in faith confidently in what thou hast revealed. Uh, we commit this time to thee and, and ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're focusing on John 11, verses 7 through 16, but I'm going to pick up the context with verse 1, so we'll just start with verse 1 and read through verse 16, John 11. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, but because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, 
let us also go that we may die with him. Just by way of review, uh, Jesus was preaching in the same area where John the Baptist had been baptizing and even the place where John baptized the Lord Jesus. And word comes to Jesus sent from Mary and Martha concerning their brother that he is deathly sick. Now these were followers of the Lord Jesus that the text says Jesus dearly loved. These were close disciples. He had a very, apparently a very close intimate relationship with them. Yet when he received uh, this news, this urgent news, not something casual, not something uh, minor, <laughs> something very urgent. Jesus does not immediately uh, leave in haste. But in fact, it says he intentionally uh, delays leaving for two more days. The Lord did not even, from where he was, if he wanted to heal Lazarus, uh, he certainly could have simply prayed in that situation right where he was, and Lazarus would have been healed. And uh, yet, not only does he not do that, but he, he does not leave for two more days. And we're taught here that the Lord Jesus, in that delay, had a divine purpose. And it's something that we all, again, in our Christian walk, need to take very seriously, that all the delays, all of the waiting upon the Lord for answers uh, to prayers which we've offered unto him, <coughs> they all have uh, divine purposes. There, there is no um, accident, there is uh, nothing that happens or catches God by surprise, uh, this is all well planned out and purposed, the delays of God. And Jesus says in verse 4, the reason, in verse 4 he says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So even though this delay meant that Lazarus was going to die, it was a delay of love, not a, day, a delay of hatred, a delay of love from the Lord Jesus to glorify God and, again, as he will say in the text before us this evening, in order to build the faith of those whom he does love. Not to destroy them, but rather to strengthen them. And this time of great sorrow that Martha and Mary and those very close to Lazarus experienced. So that's by way of review. Let us begin with verse 7. <clears throat> then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go in, into Judea again. So the text begins with the, the conjunction then, which allows for the passing of 
the two days that he waited there, according to verse 6. So when Jesus knows all the circumstances that need to transpire first have been taken care of on that other end where Lazarus dies, where Mary and Martha are uh, in sorrow, when he knows that all of that is ready, then he's ready to leave, but not before. <clears throat> this again is not uh, the Lord delighting in people's uh, sorrow, uh, delighting in people's uh, pain, uh, but it has again even sorrow and pain, and to relieve sorrow and pain uh, are not ends in themselves. Uh, they are again means to an end, and that end is to build faith, to build confidence in God, to be able to take their eyes and to learn to take their eyes off of those sorrowful, painful circumstances and to be able to cast them upon the Lord Jesus, to see that he is there to meet our needs. <clears throat> so this is a most powerful, I believe, uh, source of comfort for the believer that there is a purpose and God's purposes will always stand <clears throat> and uh, the counsel of the heathen he will bring to naught, to nothing, but the counsel, his counsel, will stand forever, his thoughts unto all generations. In Psalm 33, verses 10 through 11. Verse 8. <clears throat> his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late, sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? You remember um, in chapter 10, which was about three months earlier, that was in the winter time in chapter 10, now we're in the springtime in chapter 11. So uh, that we've, we've moved about three months uh, from chapter 10 the uh, Feast of Dedication was in December, our December, uh, and uh, the uh, Feast of the Passover is coming up uh, in chapter 11, and subsequently <coughs> we're coming upon the final week of Christ's, um, pa his Passion Week, the, the week in which he will sacrifice himself for his people. And so, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus, uh, in, uh, here in verse 8, uh, is reminded by the disciples, his own disciples, uh, uh, when you're in Jerusalem, uh, they last try to stone you. Uh, you remember in chapter 10, when Jesus said, in verses 30 and 31, I and my Father are one, that is, I and my Father have one nature, the same nature, the same divine nature. They took up stones uh, to stone him, in verse 31. <clears throat> and so the disciples, <clears throat> uh, knowing that 
it, it is legitimate uh, to flee uh, when we face persecution. Uh, there's uh, Jesus even said uh, in Matthew chapter 10, when persecution comes, you, you can flee. But uh, the Lord Jesus seems to, at this point, be taking them back into the lion's den, uh, back into the very place of persecution, uh, at least threatened persecution, uh, that they had just escaped. And um, uh, as I said, there's, there, there is, are times in which the Lord, when we are obeying him, when we're doing his will, um, and not being foolish, you know, we ought not to foolishly put ourselves into the way of danger. But when we are seeking to obey God, and to walk in his paths of truth and righteousness, many times those paths are dangerous. Many times, again, in order to stand for the Lord, it means that people are going to hate us. And they're going to, um, as it were, whether literally or figuratively, take up stones uh, against us. And so the Lord Jesus, I think at this point, is uh, preparing his disciples by taking them back into uh, Jerusalem. I think he's preparing them for what is to come uh, in their lives and in their ministries. <clears throat> Verses 9 through 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. So this is uh, uh, like a parable that the Lord Jesus is using to answer their, their fears about going back to Jerusalem at this time, so soon after that, the time that they took up stones to stone the Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus basically says here that a man that walks in the daytime, the 12 hours, as it were, of daytime, uh, is able to see before him. He's able to see uh, the path before him. He's able to go because the sun uh, uh, lightens his path. However, however uh, to the contrary, a man that begins his journey at night, and think in terms of not a night when you know, you're in a city that has street lights, but you know, there's, there's no electricity. A man who begins his journey at the night, it, it, he's not able to see uh, the way. He's not able to see the path before him he's much more likely to fall, <clears throat> to stumble, to trip, to hurt himself because there is no light uh, to shine upon his path. The point that the Lord Jesus is making here uh, is that he, that is Jesus, has, as it were, 12 hours of daylight, of ministry, uh, to do the work 
that the Father has given to him to do. That's what he means, that there's this daylight, there's this time to be able to fulfill his mission that the Father has given to him to fulfill because there's coming a time, as it were figuratively, that will be dark when he will not be able to fulfill that mission. <clears throat> and so he, he needs to, again, take the, uh, all of the steps, even if it's unsafe, even if there's danger involved. He needs to take those steps that the Lord has given to him, his Father has given to him, to fulfill his mission while it is yet day, uh, while he yet can walk uh, that, that path that the, Lord is, that the Father has laid before him. And when uh, Jesus says in verse 10, but if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because, the, the, the uh, words after because, because there is no light in him, probably better uh, translated, uh, because he has no light. Uh, in other words, he has no light to do the will of God any longer on earth. And so um, it's not saying that there's no light in Jesus. Uh, certainly there, there was an abundance of light in him. Uh, but um, uh, there comes a time, even in the ministry of Jesus, according to the Father's purposes, that it will be over uh, what God sought for him to accomplish here upon the earth. So that tells us, again, there's a, there's a uh, plan there's a purpose that Jesus, every step of the way, is seeking to fulfill that purpose that uh, the Father has given to him. No accidents, uh, particularly <clears throat> uh, we see here in this little parable that the Lord is saying that uh, he's got to go to Jerusalem because this is his... This is his um, uh, mission which will lead within the next several days in the next week or so it will lead to uh, his crucifixion and so he's, he's on a mission a divine mission and uh, that is what the parable is teaching as I said uh, th this is not a, an encouragement for any of us to be careless with our lives uh, to throw caution to the wind, be act foolishly, um, you know, with regard to our lives. Uh, God expects us to live wisely, um, but there are times, again, in doing the will of God, we have to all recognize in doing God's will, it can be, again, dangerous. Um, but we must always walk the path of duty, uh, what God calls us to do, uh, even if it is risky, even if there is danger involved, um, that's what the Lord calls us to do. Um, and that's, when we do that, it's not a violation of the sixth commandment. When we're foolish and careless uh, in doing something that is dangerous, um, yeah, that, that I think is a violation of the sixth commandment. We're taking our our life into, into our own hands, as it were, rather than God uh, in putting it in God's hands. But when we're doing the will of God, 
and there's danger uh, that's involved with that, well, that's different. Then we're not violating the Sixth Commandment. Then we're not uh, 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 disobeying God in, in that, at that point. Micah, or I'm sorry, not Micah, Malachi 4.2 uh, says that Jesus is our son of righteousness, S-U-N, the son of righteousness, to shine brightly. And uh, because he's the son of righteousness, uh, I think that is a reason why we should not be afraid. If we're talking about uh, each of us having a divine, God has a divine plan that we are to walk during the day because there's a plan for us to, to walk. And again, not just for me, you might think, well, of course, a minister has <clears throat> a divine plan. No, God has a divine plan for each of your lives, uh, for you to walk each day. Uh, that's for you to walk, again, while the sun of righteousness is shining upon your path. Because again, there will come a time when you will not, uh, and time when I will no longer be able to walk that path because uh, my life will be over, your life will be over, and so we—it's very, very important that we walk uh, while the sun of righteousness is shining upon our path by His Word and by His Spirit. Verse eleven. <clears throat> These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Uh, the Lord Jesus introduces uh, this word sleep uh, into the discussion here with his disciples, and uh, he's speaking of, as he will make clear in, in, in the verses that follow, uh, sleep, he's speaking of death, that, uh, that uh, Lazarus is dead, that he's died, but uh, the, the word sleep as a, is really in the Bible when it speaks of death, and uh, speaks of believers uh, dying. Uh, it only uses <clears throat> uh, the word sleep with regard to believers. Uh, doesn't say that unbelievers uh, fall asleep when speaking of death. It only uses sleep to represent death when speaking of believers, okay? Let me give you a few places in the Old and New Testaments just to confirm that, that statement. In Deuteronomy 31, 16, <clears throat> And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. The Lord speaking to Moses uh, as 
uh, as uh, God does intend to um, bring Moses into his heavenly uh, kingdom uh, so that Moses is not able to enter into the promised land. So, but he speaks here to Moses of, of his dying and he speaks of it as sleeping with his fathers. In Daniel 12, 2, in Daniel 12, 2, speaks of the, of the, <clears throat> the death and the resurrection of, of believers. Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and then some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that, that sleeping, again, I would take to mean uh, that those who rise shall awake. Um, that is, again, uh, speaking of those in particular who arise to everlasting life. The, in the New Testament, of course, the passage before us in John 11, but uh, in Acts 13, 36, I, I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about this because it's one of the great comforts that we have as Christians. Okay, uh, I don't want to skip over this quickly and say, Sleep, you know, sleeping here means death and leave it at that. I want you to understand the comfort that this is to us as believers. In Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid <coughs> unto his fathers and saw corruption. <clears throat> uh, David fell asleep. In 1 Corinthians 11.30, here it's an act of discipline against certain of the believers in Corinth who were misusing in a, in a way the uh, Lord's Supper in an abusive way and the Lord brings discipline upon those who were treating his, his Holy Supper uh, as something uh, contemptible, basically, not treating it with the reverence that it ought to have been treated with. And uh, it says in verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So the Lord brought illness because of the public nature of the abuse of God's, of this Lord's Supper. And even, he says, many even sleep. Many uh, had been taken from this world by way of death, but at the same time, though it was an act of discipline against those who abused the Lord's Supper, he yet says uh, that they sleep, uh, not simply, in, and they died, but that they sleep. 
Then one, one last, and this could be added to, this list could be added to, but let me give you one more passage in First Thessalonians <coughs> chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 13 through 17. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, that is, shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. <clears throat> Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so this is the second coming of Christ that is spoken of here, and those who sleep in Jesus, those who have died believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus, uh, uh, are, will be raised and then those who are alive will be changed uh, when Christ returns. They're, they will go through an instantaneous uh, transformation. Their bodies will be immediately glorified if they're alive when Christ returns, the second coming. But those <clears throat> who have already fallen asleep in Jesus, died, will first be raised from the dead. But again, uh, the word that's used here is uh, uh, sleep, those who sleep in, in Christ. And the reason that this is, I believe, such a comforting truth <coughs> is that um, we don't usually consider when we go to bed, I mean, we can have... <coughs> People can have, for various reasons, fears about falling asleep, I suppose. But ordinarily, uh, sleep is something that we, our bodies need. We realize that it's something good for us um, and that we also realize that, um, uh, that you know, we, uh, most of us have, uh, uh, you know, when we fall asleep, we usually uh, have the idea that we're going to waken in the morning, uh, hopefully rested, uh, but um, that's, that's a, a picture, basically, what the Lord Jesus is saying to his, his disciples in John 11. That's a picture of um, death for the Christian. His body, not his soul, but his body falls asleep. And then, at the resurrection, his body awakens. And uh, just as we don't fear, ordinarily, falling asleep each night, 
but look forward to the rest that we're going to receive that we likewise should have that view of death, that it not be a, a, an occasion of fear for us, but that we rather realize this is only temporary. This is only for a, a, a relatively brief time in comparison to all eternity that our bodies are going to be in the grave. <clears throat> our souls are, are not going to be in the grave. Our souls do not die. Again, it's, it's our bodies that die. It's our bodies that indeed sleep. Contrary to Jehovah's Witnesses, JWs, contrary to Seventh-day Adventists that do teach soul sleep. That's not what the Bible teaches, but uh, these groups do teach soul sleep. Um, uh, the Bible, however, teaches, in, for example, in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And uh, likewise, in Philippians 1, <clears throat> Paul is saying, uh, I, I'm in this situation uh, that I'm facing death, and I'm, I'm not sure which you know I prefer uh, right now, whether to go to be with the Lord uh, or to remain with you. But that's why, again, uh, he has no fear of dying because he realizes, though his body is going into the ground, uh, his soul is going to be immediately in the presence of, of God, in the glory of, of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, uh, in the heavenly Jerusalem, it speaks of, of uh, the saints there, those Christians who uh, are in heaven as the, as the spirits of them who have been made perfect. Uh, and so again, here we have glorified saints in heaven whose spirits are with the Lord not in the ground. Uh, they are rejoicing. Throughout the book of Revelation, as, uh, as we consider you know, various places in the book of Revelation, you, you have those pictures and those images of the saints, and it says there are even those uh, uh, who have been martyred, whose spirits are with the Lord, and they are rejoicing at uh, the victory that God uh, will bring, uh, so their souls are, are not uh, uh, lifeless. Their bodies may be lifeless, uh, but their, their souls are very much alive uh, with the Lord. On the other hand, you have the, the case of the wicked, and you do have, again, um, uh, the fact that their souls don't go, to, go into the ground either. Their bodies likewise go in the ground, but their souls uh, go to a place of torment, uh, as in the case of uh, Luke 16, <coughs> there, which the Lord spoke about the rich man and Lazarus, not the same Lazarus, this is a beggar Lazarus, um, uh, in Luke 16, uh, who, uh, in both cases, there was uh, death, 
and the rich man goes to a place, his soul goes to a place of torment uh, immediately. And so there is again um, the place of the soul that after death for the believer uh, is a place of great joy, peace, righteousness, holiness, but for the unbeliever there is torment. The reason why uh, for us uh, death is compared to sleep and not to uh, judgment. It is an act of judgment upon, again, the wicked. Death is the act of judgment upon the wicked, but it is not an act of judgment upon those who truly trust in and believe in Jesus Christ because Jesus has removed the curse from our death, and that's why it can be called sleep. Uh, he bore the curse upon the cross. All of the wrath of God that we deserve was placed upon the Lord Jesus so that the curse has been entirely removed, so that that which is a curse to unbelievers who must bear the consequences now of their own sin because Jesus did not bear it for them, it is a curse to them. It is an act of judgment to them, but not to us. And that again is why for us, we can take great comfort that uh, in our death, we're falling asleep and we shall be awakened. Our body shall be awakened again. And uh, death, the last enemy, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be uh, completely destroyed is death when Jesus returns, the second coming of Christ, the last enemy to be destroyed is, is death, Jesus, or Paul says. <clears throat> Interesting in verse 11 uh, that Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, our friend. Uh, that emphasizes a very special relationship that uh, Jesus has with us. It wasn't simply the fact that Lazarus was his friend, but all of those who are in Christ Jesus are his friend. And yeah, he is a friend to us, and we are a friend to to him through our union with Jesus Christ. Jesus was called even a friend of publicans and sinners in Matthew eleven nineteen, a friend of publicans and sinners. And certainly, as he sat around the table and was called a friend of publicans and sinners because he ate with them in order to draw them unto himself, how much more he is a friend to those for whom he died. How much more he's a friend to, uh, to those who are, uh, have become his brethren and he being the elder brother in the family of God. The father being the father of all of his children, adopted children, but he being the natural son 
we being the adopted sons and daughters of the living God. So we're more than just family to Jesus. We are his friends. That is, again, there's many ways in which to describe the relationship between Christians and Jesus Christ. For example, <clears throat> he's the husband and we are the bride of Christ. He's the vine and we are the branches. He's the shepherd and we are the sheep. He is the Lord and we are the servants. He is the king and we are the subjects, his subjects. He's the savior and we are the saved. He's the elder brother and we are his brothers and sisters, his younger brothers and sisters. And also, from what we're just looking at, he is our friend and we are his friends. That idea of being Christ's friends is again a, a, a personal relationship. Uh, you may not have the same relationship with a brother or sister that you do with a friend, a close friend. Um, that, that language of being a friend, and you may be a close friend with a brother or a sister, one that you're actually related to by way of, by way of blood. Uh, but that's not always the case. But there may be a friend that you are especially close to. And that's, again, uh, what is being communicated here, is that uh, Jesus calls us, he called Lazarus, our friend. Not only the friend of the disciples, but our, including himself. And that's a precious concept. He who is the living, eternal God, who has assumed to himself human nature, calls us, who believe in him, his friends. I guess the question I would ask myself, and perhaps you ask yourself, if Jesus calls me his friend, am I acting like his friend? Am I treating him as if he were my friend that I want to spend time with? He wants to spend time with me in the, on the Lord's Day the whole day. He wants to spend time with me each and every day in communion with Him, prayer and fellowship. But am I treating Him, Him who, again, graciously and mercifully wants to be my friend, am I treating Him as He is a friend to me? Verse 12, John eleven twelve. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. So the disciples think Jesus means here that Lazarus <clears throat> simply needs more sleep uh, to overcome the illness uh, that he has. Thus, uh, if he needs sleep, the disciples think, well, let him sleep. Let him just go on sleeping 
Uh, he'll wake all in good time uh, and feel much better uh, for having slept. <clears throat> they don't, uh, I think that they're probably still thinking in terms of we don't need to go awaken him from sleep because in the back of their minds or even in the forefront of their minds uh, it's a dangerous place there in Jerusalem and if it's just a matter of him waking up uh, and feeling better then uh, there's no need for us to go to Jerusalem for that and to face you know the uh, leaders the Jewish leaders once again verse 13 <coughs> Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. So this is John's, the Apostle John's explanatory, uh, explanatory note as to the true meaning of the word sleep. Jesus was using the word sleep to mean death. Verse 14, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So now, very plainly, so that there's no misunderstanding, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. Notice, however, that the Lord did not take them to Lazarus is dead at the very outset. He began with Lazarus is asleep. He began uh, building up to that very outspoken, very graphic language, uh, which they would understand very clearly, Lazarus is dead. He, he led them along. Uh, rather than, again, simply dumping on them immediately the, uh, the truth. And again... Um, I think that there is wisdom here for us to learn uh, in the way we present things to people. That if we put things in the most graphic and, and you know, just in the most stark terms to start off with, whatever it may be that we're talking about, but we just hit them between the eyes, you know, um, immediately, uh, so that they're just blown away, uh, that's not how the Lord Jesus here handles this situation. He, he leads his disciples along and then says when it's very clear they don't understand, then he brings them to that uh, statement, Lazarus is dead. <clears throat> In other words, we should judge our audience. We should uh, be very wise in who, how we respond we speak to those that are listening to us. With some people, obviously, we can be much more forthright with regard to just because they, they uh, may have the uh, foundation, they may know more, they may be able to accept what we're saying uh, more so. <clears throat> we can be, again, much more clear and simply state what it is that needs to be stated. With others, we need to take more time. We need to bring them along gradually because they're not ready to hear in the most uh, stark and graphic terms 
the the truth that needs to be said to them and so we we need to be wise in how we bring people along with regard to the truth we again will lord willing get to that place where we give them um you know very clearly the truth but uh, we don't compromise the truth we don't deny the truth but we again just like we are teaching a child how to walk, uh, we, 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 show some, we show some patience and uh, some compassion um, in how we share the truth. In verse 15, <clears throat> Jesus is still speaking, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now, doesn't this uh, sound strange to our ears? <clears throat> Jesus says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. That I wasn't there to heal Lazarus. I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there to prevent his death. I'm glad. Now that seems very strange, does it not, uh, to us uh, that uh, he was glad. But when we understand what Jesus here is saying, <clears throat> what he's saying is it's far more important to the Lord Jesus than even the death of Lazarus or the tears that would be shed, the sorrow that Mary and Martha would have, it's far more important to Jesus. And this is what he rejoices in, that they, the disciples, might believe. That they might have their, not that they hadn't already believed, but that their, their faith might be even strengthened all the more. That was what was more important to Jesus. Not that Jesus is cruel and he simply enjoys watching us suffer. But what's most important to Jesus is the strengthening of our faith. And whatever the Lord would use to strengthen our faith. It may be the death of a loved one. It may be the suffering, the pain, the heartache, afflictions and trials. Again, that may be what increases our faith, grows us. Usually, at least I can speak from my own experience, times I have grown most in faith in my Christian life are not the times when it seemed that everything was just going perfectly well, when there were no troubles and no trials. Those times may be few and far between, but nevertheless, the times in which I have grown the most to, to lean upon the Lord have been when there were more trials, when there was more suffering, when there was more sorrow, uh, 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 that was um, in my life due to what was happening to other people, what was happening to myself, um, to my family. Uh, so again, um, let, let's learn from this, that what 
is important, most important to Jesus, uh, is not necessarily to relieve us of our suffering now. That there will come a time when we are relieved of all suffering, uh, and uh, we may experience that to some degree here upon the earth, uh, where we um, don't suffer um, by way of illness. God can heal us. Praise, praise his name and give us a foretaste of that final healing of our bodies in the resurrection. So he can give us certainly that foretaste. But again, what's most important to the Lord is that our faith grow. And he knows what will grow us in our faith. <coughs> and that's why, again, he says, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10 <clears throat> about the dealing with the thorn in the flesh and he prayed three times that the Lord would relieve him of this thorn in the flesh and you'll recall that the Lord said to him, um, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. <coughs> therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. <clears throat> and so in the midst of suffering, if our goal, if we keep the goal that Christ has before us, and that becomes our goal, that we grow in faith, we'll be able to use suffering, our own suffering, the suffering of loved ones, uh, to the greatest purpose in our lives. When we do not see, when all we can see is the pain and the heartache that others are going through or that we're going through, and that's all we can see, but we can't see and we aren't looking to how God says that he has brought this into our life, that we might believe, that we might grow in, in, in faith, uh, then again, it simply se seems to us to be just cruel. Uh, why is God doing this to, to me? Why is God doing this to my family? Why is God doing this? That's all that we can see. But when we have what Jesus says here, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to heal Lazarus, to the intent you may believe. When that becomes our purpose, as it is Jesus' purpose, it transforms our suffering, changes our suffering and the suffering of others. So Jesus says, now it's time to go. At the end of uh, verse 15, let us go unto him. Then verse 16, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <clears throat> this is the same Thomas that we call Doubting Thomas. 
You remember in uh, John 20, verse 25, he, uh, uh, Jesus had appeared uh, to uh, 10 of the disciples and, um, and uh, they told Thomas, who was not present, that Jesus had appeared to them, and he says, I won't believe unless I can, you know, touch the wounds and, and that type of thing. And so <clears throat> this is the same uh, doubting Thomas. So uh, here, uh, what does Thomas see? Uh, all Thomas can see is gloom and doom. Uh, he's basically, I mean, it's, it is a, an indication of his loyalty as a disciple. Let us also go that we may die with him. So he is loyal uh, uh, disciple, but at the same time, uh, all he can see is uh, basically gloom and doom. He, he's, he's, yet he's committed to Christ. Um, <clears throat> he's willing to die with Jesus. I simply uh, want to end on this, uh, that uh, uh, Jesus does not save those who are perfect. Um, he doesn't save those uh, who are uh, completely spiritually healthy, uh, who have no... Um, uh, spiritual illnesses, uh, any spiritual weaknesses. He saves those who have spiritual weaknesses and illnesses. And Thomas was a doubter. And yet he was called to be uh, not simply a follower of Jesus, but to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think that this should, this should encourage us all. Uh, not that, again... <clears throat> Uh, we rejoice uh, in the sins and the weaknesses of others, but rather that we rejoice in the fact that God saves those who are weak. God saves those who are sinners, and God uses those who are weak, and God uses those who are sinners who trust in him. That's, I think, what I rejoice in. Not, I, I, again, I'm not going to rejoice in the sins and weaknesses of others because they're sinful or because they're weak, but I rejoice that God saved Thomas. He saved Peter uh, with all of his weaknesses uh, and the other disciples as well who all fled when Jesus was taken captive there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, out of fear. And so, again, uh, the Lord's not through with us. Uh, I, I rejoice that God saved me in spite of my sins, in spite of my weaknesses. Uh, he knows me far better than I could ever even know myself. And what I know about myself <clears throat> is um, uh, embarrassing, is shameful. Uh, and yet, He knows far more about me and yet he loved me and yet he called me unto himself to save me and he called me to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's called you as well he's given you a purpose uh, even uh, may not be to be a minister uh, necessarily but it may again uh, be to uh, serve him and definitely would be to serve him in some capacity uh, whether 
uh, in the home or outside the home, uh, but uh, God has called us all and he's going to use us all as, uh, again, uh, we look to him. All right, let's stop there and stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Our great and mighty Savior, <clears throat> uh, as Jesus said, he, he came to seek and to save not the righteous, but he came to seek and to save sinners. And we are thankful, for there is none righteous, no, not one. And we cast ourselves upon thee even now, Lord Jesus. Pray that thou would use us for thy glory that we would not uh, in any way uh, think that our weaknesses, our sins, mean that we can not be used by Thee, but at the same time that we would not excuse our weaknesses and sins and, and, uh, and simply accept them uh, and, and seek not to grow uh, in our knowledge of Thee and overcoming sin in our life because Jesus likewise died upon the cross that we might uh, be forgiven all our sin, but that we might also um, not be under the power of sin. And so, Lord, we pray that Thou would, by Thy grace, uh, that Thou would use us for Thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions, uh, comments? Okay. You are dismissed.